Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And, you know, last time I said that these are likely the two worst episodes of Wise Guy. <laughs> and, I mean, normally I would put the caveat, you know, except for season four. But having rewatched <laughs> season four last year, I think these might just flat out be the worst episodes of Wise Guy. Oh, I think so. I, oh. I, I, I've always said if they had started a different show, yeah, with what's his Stephen Bauer, Stephen Bauer, yeah, and and had that as the show, yeah, I think it would have done fine. It would have done fine. There was there was it's a I perfectly say, good cop show. Yes, it's a perfectly good cop show. Yeah, it's not a perfectly good wise guy. Wise guy. Because Wise Guy is some, to use the parlance of the day, next level stuff. That that season four just is it like season four is deliver us the show that we wanted you to be making all along. And compared to Wise Guy, how could it possibly find an audience? Well, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Compared to Wise Guy. All right. So let's get into this. Uh, So first off. Meet Mike McPike. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, isn't Frank's dad dead? Ah, uh, yeah. Frank just told him that because he didn't want to talk about his dad. Except, well, I, mean, I think... think it's an explanation. Okay. Well, no, it's not a good explanation. Because <laughs> it's just not. And I'll get into that in a second. So, it, the, it opens... The episode opens with uh, people talking about the budget in... Uh, what do you call it? People talking about the budget and having meetings. Remember, like, from a pay grade standpoint, uh, Vinny is now a field supervisor. Right? Yes. He got he got bumped up to field supervisor. I mean, he's still he's still out there being undercover and he's not actually running anybody, but he got kicked upstairs from a pay grade standpoint, which means as he's unhappy to learn, he actually has to go to budget meetings. <laughs> You know, as they talk about how, what is our return on investment? What is our ROI for, you know, taking down the mob? And, you know, I think he's understandably frustrated because, like, he just had really a really bad two weeks when he thought he was going to Washington, D.C. to have the Attorney General basically get down on his hands and knees and thank him for destroying the mafia. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and this is the thanks he gets, you know, he has to go to budget meetings. But anyway, Frank gets a call, his uh his, his wife, wife yeah, his wife calls in to say, Hey, uh something's going on with your dad and his dad is getting kicked out of a retirement well, home. What what she called to say was, You gotta do something about this, Frank. Yeah. And and the Vinny's like, I thought you said your dad was dead. And literally the only explanation that the show gives is he said, he's not dead. And that's it. Then we just move on. I'm like, your entire motivation when talking about Jenny was to, was to Vinny. Have you ever seen anyone die slowly? And he's like, my dad died slowly and badly and it sticks with you and it haunts you. I'm like, you can't unring that bell. No, like this is a direct sequel. <laughs> this this episode is structured as a direct sequel to Stairway to Heaven. 
and it unrings one of the biggest bells of Stairway to Heaven. Like, what? I don't know why. Okay, I'm going to say it this way. I don't know why Frank's like, because <laughs> this isn't an episode about Frank's dad. This is an episode about Frank and his relationship with his wife. I don't know why his dad has to be in it. If this had just been an episode about him and trying to figure out if he can reconnect with his wife, or are they too different as people now that they've been apart and she's been finding herself? Like, what is wrong with that? Yeah, well, and if they had gotten something went wrong with his son and that's how it come they got together. Yes, that would have been even, that would have made far more sense than this because, whole, oh, suddenly his dad's alive. Yeah. But well, please continue. A, come on, this is a terrible show. It's a this, terrible episode no, of television. The sexism in this episode? It's ridiculous. Is, it's is, off the charts. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we before, last week what we said was this could be a short episode. I <laughs> know. And it's like, I watched the two episodes and went, oh, God, help me. <laughs> I know, right? All right, so. um I remembered. No, they are. They really are worse than you remember. Uh, there's a couple of interesting things about Romp that we'll tell as as we go. But if you people have watched Romp already, you'll understand why I say anything good about the episode Romp is completely overwritten by the ending of the episode Romp. The most bafflingly ill-conceived ending ever. But well, the they, thing you know, they just pulled a... What, what was his name? Patrick... Patrick. Mm -hmm. Oh Who? God, what was his name? What in are we that? talking about? Well, we I used to call it why why do they can well actually what I call it is pulling a cat's cats and zakas. Ah, okay. Okay? Yeah. It's my big one, but but the biggest one culturally for most people would be what was the show with Larry Hagman in the eighties? That would be uh that would be Dallas. Okay, I think it was in Dallas. Yeah, yeah no, no, they did. They took. They said a whole season was a dream because they killed off Bobby Ewing, and everyone yes. was pissed about that. So they just well, unkilled off that, Bobby Ewing. But Bobby, Bobby, they killed him off because he didn't want to do it anymore, and then oh, yeah. he decided he did want to do it. Yep. And so they just undid that, and the fans weren't putting up with him dying. It was a whole mess. But anyway, we'll we'll get there. First, yeah. though, first, though, and the Kaz and Zakis, that's a reference to The Last Temptation of Christ, well, well, correct? Well, we'll talk about that. But yeah, we'll talk about that yes, later. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, just for, so people know. Uh, all right. Uh, so what happens is you're watching this thing, uh, the Meet Mike McPike, and like it's literally the problem is it's an entire episode about like ha making Frank come to grips with his relationship with his dad because that affects um uh what do you call it uh you know cuz that's affecting his relationship with his wife and his son right that's what they want the story they want to be telling but the problem is the kind of dad he had like is not like the kind of dad that this episode is saying he had one who was absent all the time right, is not the kind of dad that creates the kind of personality Frank has. 
Like, they've actually been amazingly consistent in the type of person Frank is. And they talked about his dad being a violent drunk. Yes. And the thing is, his dad being a violent drunk who beat Frank and his mother up is 100% consistent with the kind of, like, bad father Frank is. Because Frank... Now, because he had this, you know, father who beat up him and his mother, essentially, like, spent the rest of his life avoiding his family out of the fear that he was going to become his dad. Yeah. So he's like, I've got, I'll just push all of the, I, I love them and I'll support them and I'll just push all the emotional stuff onto my wife and I'll just be gone six days out of the week, sometimes seven, and I'll just be in another state and they'll be fine because I'm not there to ruin it. Yeah. That's and that exactly is, the yes. story that we have been told. And it is completely consistent with how they've written him until yes. this episode. And that's what makes this such an unbelievably frustrating (laughs) hour of television. Yeah. If you take any of this sort of stuff seriously at all. Yeah. At all. You know, it is just. It's bonkers. Horrible, horrible, horrible episode is what it is. Well, because they're like undoing everything we know about Frank as a character. Yeah. Because he's been so consistent up until this point. He really has. Like, who he is as a person has been completely consistent. And suddenly that gets all thrown out. No, his dad was absent. Well, then why is Frank the way he is? If his dad was absent all the time, why is Frank the way he is? It doesn't make sense. Oh, this episode pisses me off so much. Well, no, and the thing is, you know, we talk about our, our Criminal Minds rewrites. This is the easiest episode ever to Criminal Minds rewrite. Because yeah. Because, <laughs> like, his son is getting into trouble. And his son is getting his trouble because Frank's never there. And then Frank would have to, like, um, confront the fact that he's never there for his son because he's afraid of turning into his dad, who, like, took all of his life's frustrations out on Frank. And he never wants to do that to Drake. But isolating Drake and never spending any time with him is a kind of abuse, too. And Frank would have to learn to open up emotionally and connect with people. Like, this could have been a great episode of television. Oh, yeah. And the inclusion of his dad and completely changing his backstory throws away. Like, I mean, uh, Stairway to Heaven is still a great episode. I'm not saying it's not. But it throws away all of the setup they did, both about his backstory with his dad and his relationship with Drake in Stairway to Heaven. I know. I don't agree with you. Like, seriously, the entire, uh, like, talk about Drake and his relationship with some get is completely dismissed with his wife just saying, you know, he's, he loves you. And, oh, that's the end of the conversation then. Okay. (laughs) What? He worships the ground you walk on. You're his favorite person. Okay, so I guess we don't have to talk about his completely non-existent relationship with his son anymore. Here. They brought a couple of new writers into the writing room and thought that this was a good episode to um, give them. And, of course, they hadn't read, bothered reading the book for the previous two and a half years. <laughs> Maybe. Or Stairway to Heaven. Well, I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. 
I talk about with um, 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 criminal minds. Sometimes, or that's what I say about criminal minds periodically. Okay. Uh, with criminal minds, they just didn't have a book, you know. Yeah. So, oh no, absolutely. Blame people for not bothering, but I am sure wise guy had a clear. Oh, one hundred percent. They know exactly who all these people are. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what makes this episode so unbelievably frustrating. It's like, it's not just, it's it's undercutting. It's not just, you know, throwing away these great dramatic, dramatic opportunities they had that they completely just abandon. This could have been a great episode about Frank and his son and how he doesn't know how to be a father. And he's afraid to admit he doesn't know how to be a father because of all the abuse he suffered. And instead, it's just nothing. It has nothing to do with the characters we've established. It has nothing to do with their relationships. It's it's nothing. It's a waste of our time. I, I really hated this episode. I thought, oh, well, Romp's going to be the worst episode. This might be worse. Well, this, this, okay, this is constructed better. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. It's a better constructed episode. I won't deny okay, that. Than Romp, okay? Yes, absolutely. And, and Romp is completely destroyed. Come By the ending. Completely destroyed by the ending. Yep. Oh, but this episode isn't destroyed by the ending. And if they hadn't set Frank up a different way, way have, previously, this could have been okay. This could have been okay. I mean, You're it, right. it, when you look at it as an episode, it has the beginning, it has the resolution, it yeah. has him and his wife talking to one another again. It has if this were yeah, if this were an episode about characters we'd ever met before, like <laughs> sorry, like never met before, and it was just a completely new show. You're right; it's a totally competent, you know, forty minutes of a family drama. But because it yeah. has nothing to do with any of the people we know, it's instead this frustrating mess of an episode. Yeah, and how can you believe that man is Frank's father? There's no way. There's no way. You can't believe that for a second. Sorry. Didn't mean to bump into the table there. You know, his womanizing and his, well, okay, his womanizing and his, his, you know, moving into a home, not because he needed to. Well, it turns out he has early Alzheimer's. Yeah. We do learn that eventually. Yeah. We eventually learn that he has early Alzheimer's. Yeah. And he will need the support and the help and someone right next to him. All the time. Yeah. But, yep. but you're still going. Say what? I know. It's just not consistent with anything we know about Frank. No, not at all. <sighs> and that's why this episode made me angrier than I thought it would. And we see the gazebo again, which is nice. Yes, then Frank has to fix the gazebo. Yeah, Frank has to fix the gazebo, and his well, wife actually, is his now son catering. Is going to do it, yeah. yeah. Drake is going to do it, but you know. Oh, no, and this is what I always said. And so this was this was her great revelation. She was going to become a cook. Yeah, a chef. And now She's Frank gonna... does does make that point. <laughs> yeah, I know. You went through all that spiritual stuff just to start becoming a caterer. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I never mean, had anyone to cook for when you were home, when you weren't home. Yeah, I know. I'm like, you had a no. son. Everything <laughs> about, yeah, everything about Frank. Yeah. Right? This this violent man, and we saw it in Stairway to Heaven. Oh, yeah. And we hypothesized that, yeah, he does this. 
We saw him well, trying. Again, he loves fight. rage. We see him try to pick fights in bars because yeah. he's got all this anger built up. And it ain't a- anger because his dad was never around. Like no. the way he's been played has always been completely consistent. Yeah. And that's what makes this so frustrating. Yep. It's so much worse, you know, because it. It throws in the face everything we know about this character. And some of the, so much of the stuff we love about this character. And what a great portrayal of this kind of victim of abuse the show had been. And then yep. for them to just say, ah, no, nope, 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 nope. No, because, and the funny thing is, is that what we have understood about Frank is he had the same upbringing as Hotch. Yep, Exactly. The same kind of upbringing as Hodge. Yep. And he was, he is just as withdrawn. And driven. Now he lets his anger out and Hodge doesn't. Yes, that's correct. But the same thing, staying away from the family, staying away from the child. So he won't become the violent guy his dad was. Yes. Because he's so afraid of becoming his father, he can't bear to deal with his son. And they both have that rage inside them. Mm-hmm. that has to go out somewhere yeah like they're both really good characters or they were well i mean in both cases they were until hotch need to be kicked off the show and then suddenly actually now he loves being a dad i'm like uh okay. that's not true to his character <laughs> did he get a ton of therapy while he was hiding from peter lewis maybe but, and Frank, it just comes out of nowhere. Suddenly Frank's just a different person. Yep. You know, and it's it's cheating the audience. And that's what it is. And that sounds harsh. And I know I'm being harsh, but it, we are being cheated because we have <sighs> imbued this with a certain amount of our attention. You know? <laughs> we have! I mean, <laughs> we have. And you when know, we just watched it to enjoy it, it, you know, you, you can just, you can honestly, you can just skip this episode <laughs> when you're just watching it for fun. When you start looking at what this show means, this episode is actively damaging the stuff the show was saying up until this point. I know. <sighs> I mean, it's a cute episode in a lot of ways. And the actor, just to be clear, the guy playing uh, Mike is fine. Yeah. Oh, it. Well, we can't, and and the woman who says, "Yeah, there he showed up," you know, yeah, and I and and the and the parts of it, just think about it. I mean, the parts of it where he where he cons Vinny with his quarter trick, with his yeah, right? with the old leverage quarter <laughs> trick, It's cute. Where, yeah, you know, it's all very cute, and they get into the bar, and yeah, and he wants to know. get into a bar fight, and you know, and it's like, yeah, like all of that is fine. But getting into the bar fight, right, is the key. Wanting to get into the bar fight is the key. And if they had just dug further into that. Instead of this horrible, horrible idea of changing everything that he was an absent dad. No, what he was was a violent dad when he was home. And he would never have apologized. What this showed is that those bar fights were just fun. Exactly. Like, I mean, this whole, if there is one thing, I mean, we've tried to get away from that. They tried to do that with Dan to say, look, this is stupid what you're doing. You know, Mm -hmm. you're 
this toxic masculinity thing, right? Yeah. But and this episode is just like, oh no, that's just boys' fun. No, it's not. I say what? I know. It couldn't be further from the truth. You know. So yeah. It, it was. It's. It is definitely. Um, a, a problem, and he might not have start. He might not have been able to ever. Um, would I say? apologize but he he but he has no remorse for anything he's done but then from from the from the point of view of this episode well yeah he was an absent father yeah he wasn't an actively abusive father no he was just at he just wasn't there and you know frank couldn't deal with that i'm like god you're undercutting your own messages. Well, if point. we had then gone, okay, he had an absent father, so therefore he attached himself to a brute, a priest who sexually abused him. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. Write, <laughs> I could have gone I another way. That. Yeah. I can rewrite this episode in a million different ways to make it work. Well, no, but the best version of it is just do it about his religion. Don't have his dad at all. Have his dad be dead. Have him be dealing with the ghost of his father. Have him confront the fact that, you know, his dad died before, like, died of cancer. And he had to help take care of him. And he never got the chance to have the the tell-off with his dad. To come to terms with what his dad did to him. And now he's stuck not knowing how to relate to his son as his son's getting into trouble. Yep. That's that's the episode they should have made. But instead, they want to do a light comedy fun episode, and it's god-awful. It's just god-awful. It is sexist. Yeah. It's so sexist. Casually sexist, too. And Casually sexist, right in every part of the episode. Like I don't know what they were thinking in so much of this episode. So yeah, Meet Mike McPike, very big contender. For the worst episode of uh, of Wise Guy ever. Yes. Now let's talk about the other contender. <laughs> Two contenders for the worst episode of Wise Guy in four years. And uh, for the record, I, I went and I watched To Die in Bettendorf to be like, I'm not remembering this wrong, am I? Like, this isn't it. Like, I was like, given how terrible these two episodes are, I'm like, are they really... Uh, are they really like divvied up and separated by the best, you know, uh, filler episode the show ever did? And honestly, I mean, yeah. we'll call whether whether it's the best, the best, because White Noise is really good and yeah. Sarah is really good. But honestly, to die in Bettendorf might be better than both of them. And we're going to talk about that next week. So yeah, no, I was I was worried that I was somehow remembering it wrong or something, but no, it's an incredible episode. It's so good. Okay, and, well, I didn't, but, I did, I resisted the impulse. Oh, okay, you haven't rewatched. All right, well, trust me, it's it's amazing. It's as good as, as it's, it's as good as I thought it was. Yes, it's as good as I thought it was. All right, so let's move on to romp, which is. Okay, so now I'm going to explain something to you. So the idea is uh, Vinny doesn't really have a life because he was expecting to be kicked upstairs in some way after the mob thing because he's so high profile and has been in so many newspapers. 
it's going to be hard for him to go undercover in anything other than the mob, but there's not really a mob anymore because <laughs> of his actions. And so he's like, well, what's left for me to do? And the idea is, well, I'm going to get kicked upstairs. And then he goes to Washington and he not only does he not get kicks up, kicked upstairs, he almost gets put in jail for treason. And so now he's just sitting around waiting to figure out what the next step of his career is. And he's, and they literally, he like phones Uncle Mike to be like, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should hang out. And Uncle Mike's in a suit because he's got a date. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's going out that night. And so there's nothing for him to do. And so he's like, uh, you know, maybe like try reconnecting, maybe call your friends. And so he calls up Mike. Uh, you know, uh, his, uh, his good buddy, Mike Cacciatore, our, our beloved Mike Cacciatore. And all right, now here's where I'm going to give you the trivia that I just, I went and I looked it up. Oh, and they go to, and the plot of the episode is they go to their friend, Jimmy's, uh, bachelor party. And then it just, everything, you know, spirals from there. Uh, a lot of, you know, wacky stuff happens. Not enough to really fill up an episode. It's a very threadbare episode. <laughs> I think it's safe to say it is. And the nicest way to put it is content light. Uh, <laughs> that's the nicest thing you can say about this episode. Uh, but anyway, so he goes to, uh, and they go to a bachelor party and you might be wondering, why is this episode? Like, why does this episode exist? And I'm going to explain it to you now. And you're going to say, Oh, okay. Right. So, here we go. Uh, I, and by the way, the trivia I'm about to tell you kind of suggests to me that Mike Cacciatore, like, that, that him being Vinny's childhood friend was not just invented for reunion. I think he's in the show and the plan was to have Vinny run into a childhood friend during the garment trade arc. And that all got screwed up by Ken Wall's onset injury. And right. here's why I think that's true. Okay. So, do you know who plays Mike Cacciatore? Who? The third lead from The Wanderers. Oh, that movie that made him a star. Well, that all th him and the guy who plays Jimmy and the guy who plays Mike were all discovered by Philip Kaufman. And, uh, and The Wanderers was all their first movie. And they became good buddies. Ah, so that's why the character of my Cacciatore exists. It's to get Ken, one of Ken Wall's best friends onto the show. Suddenly this episode makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> if it's just an excuse for him to hang out with two of his best friends from the Wanderers. It, it, yeah, it makes it a lot more sense now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Okay, I so yes. I will not deny that. Oh no, now uh, that doesn't make it a good episode. <laughs> so anyway they go and it's like it's like there's not even any the only thing to talk about in the whole night of them going and hanging out and having a blast and blah 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 all of that is that it does give some insight into the kind of life Vinny's gonna have to lead because he goes to a bar and they're like how are we gonna get into this bar and Vinny just walks up and everybody knows Vinny yeah now, the bartender, like, the bouncer immediately knows Mr. Terranova. Because yes. Vinny is a man of respect. Like, he is known to be a made guy. He's at the top of things. And there's a really interesting scene later when 
because uh, it turns out Jimmy's business is going really badly and he, you know, borrowed two grand from a loan shark, right? Yeah. From a loan shark. And the guy, when he sees that Vinny is a friend of this guy's, is like, if if you just out of complete respect to you, if this is a friend of yours, I'll zero out the debt and maybe yes. maybe in the future you're going to help me with something. Uh, you know, because that's how people think of Vinny. And so even though he didn't get publicly identified as, you know, the guy who was secretly running the commission for Don Ayupo. Yeah, no, it's like, uh, even if he wasn't, because like, that's what he was trying to avoid. People thinking that he was the head of the commission, right? And that he was running things for Rudy. Even though that didn't happen, he's still going to spend the rest of his life in New York as a guy who is connected. Like, that's never going to stop. And this episode could have dwelled on that a little, but it doesn't at all. But it's, I think, the one genuinely interesting thing about the episode. And it's very frustrating watching this because so much of this episode is clearly the way it's edited. Because there's so many scenes of them just running around and having a good time. And so much of it is supposed to be relying on this being edited to a song that is not in the episode anymore. (laughs) I know. And I don't know what that song is. I tried to find out. I couldn't find out what song it was. Was it probably The Boys Are Back in Town? Yeah, probably. Yeah, but probably. <laughs> just based on the episode, it's probably what the song was, but we can't confirm that. Yes, because I, I, Yeah, because all of those playing is like this terrible, sassy jazz music. You know this, something? Yeah. Well, I'll have to look upstairs somewhere. To see if we have the VHS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we might we might be able to uncover this and send it to uh and send a clip of it over to um to uh Canal Fan four five eight seven and maybe get a clip uh maybe convince them to put a clip of what this looked like originally because so much of this episode is them just romping around to the worst music you've ever heard. <laughs> So, like, whatever visceral joy you could get of those montages is completely ruined by this god-awful music. Yeah. And if it had been the boys are back and down. And it, I mean, it still wouldn't have been great scenes, but at least we would have been getting what the thing was going for. Yeah, or there's a couple of other, there's a couple of Motley Crue, too. Songs you could have done, too. Yeah, there were any number of songs you could have added like when this they were When they were in the in the gym, it's even smoking in the boys' room. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it would have worked fine. You there's know, so many cool. 80s yeah. songs about their youth that they could have done. Late 70s, early 80s songs. Because this is an episode about them realizing they're not young anymore. It's about them thinking about the salad days. And... It is about toxic masculinity. And we it know is it. about how men can't well, maintain friendships. And it's about how men can't ask for help. Well, they could have even had. No, because they say it at one point. Do you think that they did the one shot with Glory Days from Bruce Springsteen? They could have been Glory Days. Yeah. Glory Days. Because he says that at one time. Those were our glory. Those were my yeah. our glory days. Exactly. So yeah, it could have even been Glory Days. Because like, I don't know what the song was, but I mean, that was yeah. on the Made in the um, Born in the USA. Born in the USA. Yeah, exactly. Which is you know about you know, the crumbling of America. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's interesting because you watch the episode, right? And you're watching the episode, and you're like, okay, well, this kind of is about something. It's yeah. about how much trouble men have 
making and maintaining friendships because men are supposed to not show emotion and men are supposed to be solitary and men aren't allowed to ask for help and men aren't allowed to be emotionally vulnerable. Like, when you get into it, this episode has some stuff to say. Yeah. And it even has What's-Her-Face who ended up on Law and Order. Mariska Hargitay plays uh, yeah. Jimmy's fiance. Yeah. Right? Yeah, who? Good. Yeah. And she's good in it. Yeah. Like she's doing she's doing the Bronx the Brooklyn accent. She's fun. She's doing the Brooklyn accent. She's a great match. Dress. Oh, get her dress. Oh god, yeah. And it's like it's it's a fun scene. She's in a couple of scenes and she's really good. But like you watch the episode and you're like, okay, well what is this building to? And so, you know, it's all building to them forcing Jimmy to accept their help and saying like forcing like them to say okay it's okay to have friends it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to need help you know and you and we we see that mike has grown as a person by like yeah. finally growing up and marrying his detective he's like yeah i don't i realize now that i'm in an adult relationship for the first time in my life at age 33 that i don't have to be jealous and i don't have to be controlling that like trust offers things of value too you know all of the stuff that i thought relationships were maybe they weren't and yeah. it's nice you know it's yeah. it, like there's good messages in this episode and there's good scenes and would you care to tell people why we call it the worst episode since i'm actually being weirdly complimentary <laughs> okay so we get near the end okay we get right to the end and you see the wedding we we not only they have the they we they and we cut for a week later uh, to the church wedding because they were gonna just do because he was broke they were gonna do just do a um a church yes. wedding uh, a justice of the peace at city hall right but Vinny and Mike pay for a nice big church wedding yes and well we they go don't to the know wedding. that that's what they paid <laughs> yeah well obviously but they gave but Vinny they give him ten grand yeah gives him ten grand Mike. Mike offers him a low interest loan. Yeah. He's offering a low interest loan. To help with the business. So they're at the wedding. And then at the end of the wedding, there's the, you know, she, they say something, no, you're not coming on our honeymoon. And the three of them get together. Right. And they do their three stooges thing. Bit that they've right? always done. They do their three stooges bit. And then it, it does this flash with these weird eyes, which is just like bizarro world. And then all of a sudden you're back in Vinny's kitchen. And he wakes up. None of the episode happened. None of the episode happened. It was all a friggin' dream. Why would you do this? I have no idea. As like, I nothing said, about the episode is out of character for anything that could happen on this show. No. No, that's that extravagant. What, this, this could have gone like to the this could have gone to the point, the points that was being made about the town but about brooklyn yeah with uh, with the guy who lost his garage yes right you know it, it is consistent with that the same thing these big box stores coming in all of this yeah, is and this guy's and this guy's are starting to build up the and this guy runs a what do you call it um he has an hvac company and like some giant and i'm sure some you know big conglomerate version is moving in and yeah, he can't and keep up with them and it's like it why is it suddenly not real? Yeah. And then you've the whole episode is, I do not know who. Whose idea was that? that? 
Like whose friggin' idea was that? And as I said, I call it, and I will tell you why I call it pulling a cats and zakas. Okay. Now, okay. As you, as you know, this is based on the book called The Last Temptation of Christ. Darn good book, if you want to read it. Darn good book until you get to the end. <laughs> I know. And it's the same thing. It yeah. turns out that Jesus is on the cross and this is his last temptation. Because he can get off the cross and he can marry Ma- Mary, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene and-, and have a bunch of kids and live a regular type life. Yeah. Right? And it just destroys the whole friggin' novel. Yep. For me, anyway. I mean, it's one of the few books. There are a couple I've thrown against a wall when I think. <laughs> and who could blame you? And I know this, some of the books you're talking about. <clears throat> right? But this is one of the few. And yeah. and it, it just, it just. It baffles the mind that they would have done that. Well, I, I mean, I can understand why. Oh, God, I can't. Katzenzakis wrote it, right? Yeah. And and I am sure because this was a very controversial book at the time. Yep. Extremely. And I'm sure that's why he did the end. And even then it almost got him basically excommunities, Greek Orthodox and stuff. Yep. And he was exploring issues that nobody explored up to mm-hmm. that point. And okay, so I can understand that. Well, I mean, Jesus lived as a man for 33 years, you know, like that's the, well, okay, 38 years. I mean, based on his actual birth date and date of crucifix. Like he lived as a man for all that time. So, well, what does that mean? Like, what did it mean that he actually lived as a man on earth? Even if you believe he was the son of God, he lived as a man on earth. So what what was that? Could he have just lived a regular life? He's either gay or he fell in love with somebody. Exactly. At some point, it had to have happened. And yeah. that's the—that's what makes the book fascinating. It's a look at that that people were afraid to do for good reason at the time. And even when the movie came out, like, because yeah. we, we got, there was a special showing because it was so controversial, the movie. Yeah. Right? With Willem Dafoe as Jesus. Who's really good in the movie. Yeah. And, and so both the religious both religion departments yeah one at carlton and one at u of o and maybe even st paul's i don't know if they got in or whether they would have gone but anyway so we all got free tickets we had a previous prior a preview screening yeah yeah a, a, an early screening or whatever with yeah, a preview screening yeah, yeah we were invited along with all the other film critics and the rest of it that went And they wanted to talk to us about afterwards about what we thought about it, right? Yeah. Because it was so controversial before it even came out. Of course. Ending, just like the ending on this episode. This episode worked, would have worked, and we would never have been this hard on it if it had not been all a dream. Yeah. All a dream. Yep. Why would Vinny dream this anyway? Yeah, why would he have this dream? Does like it's not consistent with anything. Having a dream of him being I mean, I could see him, you know, falling asleep and dreaming about Amber and what life would have been like if he'd married Amber. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Maybe I would have accepted that because that was a complete unreality. Yeah. But everything that happens in this episode 
Nothing is, is out of the realm of possibility for what can happen on an episode of Wise Guy. Yeah, and not even, well, in fact, it would, in Vinny's life and the fact that he's at loose ends and going back to the school gym and playing this stupid basketball game. Yep. Right? I mean, it was a stupid basketball game with lousy music. Yeah. But it's it fits in with who Vinny is because he's remembering are. who he was and he's wondering, you know, what happened to the dreams I had when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. All of this stuff. Like, yeah. it's all consistent with the character. So why does it have to be a dream? So we consider this, I still say, this is the worst. Close second is McPike. Yep. But I, I would... This I, is, I see why you would say this is still the worst. Only like, because... I mean, it, this doesn't this doesn't hurt the history of the show, and completely botch a great opportunity the way Meet Mike McPike did. But at no. the same time, this undercuts what could have been a perfectly good episode that had something to say about the characters, and it undercuts it as you say for no reason. Nothing yeah, is no added. Reason. Nothing is added by taking away the plot of the episode. Yeah. Nothing is made better. Nothing is added. So why did you do it? Yeah. Oh, by the way, a uh, fun fact about um uh for no, for obvious reasons, you know, you having a copy. Uh I saw the, the Last Temptation of Christ when I was very young. And do you know that The Last Temptation of Christ has defined the character of Judas for me for the rest of my life? Oh, really? Kytel, Harvey Keitel's Judas is for me the definitive Judas. <laughs> like just the idea of this guy who, you know, got trapped in this situation where he was part of Jesus's narrative and he didn't get to make decisions anymore. Well, and it's like this guy who gets trapped in Jesus's story and is like such a relatable character. Cause it's like, it's not like he decides to betray Jesus. He has to betray Jesus. Cause that's what Jesus's story is. Yes. And this is, this was my mother's whole point. How yeah. come Jesus, this is what made her re start to rethink. How yeah. come Judas goes to hell for doing when he was for his part of Jesus's story? Yeah. Exactly. If he didn't do it, Jesus would have never hung on the cross and would have never saved humanity from original sin. Yeah. So yeah. Judas why made that happen. Going to hell? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you ask me, which do I prefer? Uh, you know, Dante or Milton? It's always going to be Milton. Of He's course. Like, Fantastic to Judas, but he's better than Dante. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, so this episode, it's it's so frustrating. <laughs> because there's stuff they're saying here that's interesting stuff. There's, honestly, I mean, Mariska Hargate is one of their more positive female characters ever. Yeah. Because she's a no. grown-ass woman who's advocating for herself. But not only that, that... She has been waiting for what? For Jimmy to, years? yeah, for, for 12 years for Jimmy to grow up. For Jimmy to grow up and marry her, she has been waiting. And I am sure, like Carrie Fisher, waited for John Belushi <laughs> and the Blues Brothers in celibacy. At church. At church. Waiting for him to show up. She yep. has waited. And as she said, do you think I waited all this time because you had money? I know. Of course I knew you were broke. 
Every well, how did you know? Everybody knew it. <laughs> no. I mean, like, it's a good scene. It's a brilliant scene. Yes, because it's about like these myths that these guys have about themselves. Yeah, you know, and Mike is the guy who's growing up, and like J- Vinny's trying, and Jimmy needs to. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's like there's so much that's good about this episode, and then you get betrayed. And I mean, I know it's hyperbole to say I was betrayed by this episode, but is it really that much hyperbole to use that term? Well, you feel like that. Because, like, you do feel when you get to the end of it, this just, it wipes out everything good about the episode. Yeah. It's what we talk about episodes and it's what we talk about movies. You give them a good ending and... They'll forgive you a lot. They'll forgive you a lot. A lot of mediocrity if the ending is good. And, and if the ending's bad. Well, there, here's the corollary. It destroys <laughs> what would have been a perfectly good episode of Wise Guy. I'm not going to say it's going to be one of the greats, but they were saying some interesting stuff. The episode had things to say. It had an opinion that was worth hearing. And it just throws it all away. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been... You know, I mean, then Mike McPike would have just been the worst episode. Oh, without, yeah, no question. We wouldn't even talk about it. We wouldn't have had these discussions, you know. And and what what ticks me off when I'm watching this episode is, I don't even, like you say, I don't even believe Vinny would have this fantasy. Uh Like, had it been about Amber, had it been about, what if he actually tried to be in the music industry? And, well, and like, had we, uh, you know, all of that stuff. Had that happened, I'd be like, yeah, I believe that's that's a thing Vinny would dream about. Yes. Yeah, because like, that's a real what if. Yeah, and what then if he, we could have brought yeah. Glenn Frey back. We would have brought Glenn Frey back briefly. And Amber would have been there. Like, it would have been interesting. <laughs> you know? We could have we could have checked in with characters. And it, yeah, it could have all been a dream. But we would have understand why Vinny was thinking about it because that was an escape valve for him. The yes. idea of going back to the music industry is something that exists in his head as like an escape valve from the rest of his life. Like that, we would buy that from Vinny. But hanging out with his high school friends, one of whom he does hang out with from time to time already, that's that's his big fantasy. <laughs> That's his big fantasy and dream? Come on. Yeah, you guys could do better than that. They could do so much better than this. It wouldn't even have been hard. Yeah, like, no. It's... Meet Mike McPike is not salvageable because it undercuts everything we know about the characters. Like, this episode is completely salvageable. You do a freeze frame ending when she sees the three of them lined up, right? After, yeah. on the way to the reception, the three of them lined up smiling at her as the three stooges, right? You freeze frame there, you run the credits, you got a perfectly good episode of television. And that's it. That's yeah. it. This undercuts it for no reason. And that leaves only one of the three stooges who hasn't figured out what he's going to do with the rest of his life. I know. Like, exactly. And in fact, that's more meaningful. Of course. It's freaking more meaningful because it's about the characters. And I'll say this. Okay. I, I'm not going to defend, you know, all of the thing about it just being a dream in The Last Temptation of Christ. Right. But I will say this. The one way you can argue it 
that it is meaningful is by having the dream be that you can say, and this is why I don't think the guy deserved the hate he got from the church, right? Because you can make the argument that that ending is about saying, well, Jesus knew what he was giving up. Oh no, that, that's, that's, you know, and that, that is, that is what he meant. And uh, that is what he meant by it. And it's kind of a cop out, you know, it's kind of a cop out. He had to make for the system. Yeah, for the system. Because the thing is, you can do a version of the last temptation of Christ where frigging Jesus has a family. Because spoiler alert, Jesus gets born and then we cut till he's 33, really 38. Okay. Yeah. Because he was born in minus six, by the way. Yeah, he was born. That's why I keep saying this. (laughs) He was actually born in not minus six. Like, we know that now based on the history of the time. Because if you believe that Jesus is was a real guy, was a real rabbi, we actually know quite a lot about when that real guy was born, and it was minus six. And it sounds funny to say that Jesus was born six years before Christ, but that is accurate to the history. <laughs> well, I always said, like, people, people, I mean, we're getting off onto something else, but it doesn't matter. It's funny because people, and I just said, look. I said, yes, I could, and I can actually believe that somebody would have gone off to be a hermit. I said, I can envision that he got married at the age and he was a carpenter and he got married and he was a rabbi and And he he had children and they all died, I don't know, from disease or they all died in some kind of a horrible accident on the sea. Accidents or something with the Romans, you know. Yeah. And then, and then he decided he had to become devote himself fully to studying the Torah and figuring out, and you know, figuring out his like, relationship with God, like his cousin John, <laughs> exactly like his cousin John. Exactly and like yeah, him. and it's like you can see Jesus, and that's that's the book I wish Last Temptation of Christ was like Jesus who lived a full life. And then found, you know, after this tragedy or whatever, something is missing and he becomes a hermit and he has his, whatever his burning bush moment is for him. And he comes back as the fieriest apocalyptic preacher anyone's ever seen. That's, that's the story you want to tell about Jesus. You know, that's, that's the, that's the paradise lost version of the gospel. Because if people don't understand why I keep talking about Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost was everything you think about Satan. Satan's not in the Bible. Everything you about Satan is comes from Paradise Lost. It's people... Paradise Lost is a beautiful attempt to understand the motives and the character of Satan. Because basically, there's a minor character, Satan, in the Bible, who is one of God's functionaries. You know... <laughs> basically, who is there to to whisper in God's ear and say, yeah, but what if you're wrong? Yeah. And that's that's Satan's job. Yeah. Right? And basically the medieval church needed a villain to make Christianity easy to sell, and that's the job the devil and Satan got. But that's not in the Bible. That's all extra-biblical stuff. That's all, you know, that's all Bible fan fiction stuff. And Paradise Lost was an attempt by Milton, this frigging genius poet, to say, okay, well, let's say Satan was a real person. What was his, what could his motivations have been? And what is his angle on things? 
And it's a little hard to read because, you know, it's a poem written in an older English than you might be familiar with. 17th century. 17th century English. But the thing is, it's not that hard to read. And it's a really good story. And pointedly, it's a good enough story that it, you know, created our idea of what the devil was going forward for the next 400 years. Oh, sure. Lucifer. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and here, right. You, you get, I'm like, you get, uh, all this stuff in, in supernatural. Yeah. Like, supernatural. Uh, the entire TV show Lucifer can yeah. be read as just a continuation of paradise lost. <laughs> Quite obviously that's what it's intended as. You know, it's like, uh, well, I actually, I think I said in a tweet that it's like, Lucifer seems to be, uh, uh, seems to be a book about, uh, religion, uh, sorry, a book, a TV show about religion by people who have never read the Bible. But yeah. that said, it's a pretty good sequel to Paradise Lost. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, because this, this is, you know, I mean, it, it is funny. Like, I mean, he did bring out because all of this started this idea of satan and heaven and hell and all of this all starts it is existing in embryo during the time of what we call the intertestamental period Mm because there was a lot of writing there was a lot of um there were like the at qumran i mean they came up with a prince of darkness for example oh yeah and there are influences from Zoroastrianism that mm-hmm. is, is all bound up. And you have... Well, and the, the quote-unquote Manichaean worldview that there always has to be light and darkness and blah, 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 blah. There has to, If there's a god, there has to be an anti-god, and that's the role yes. Satan and was drafted into following. Okay, and then there's Gnosticism. Like, all yeah. of this, and you have what we call the pseudepigrapha. We have all of these, which are all these extra texts... Yeah. that you can read. I mean, it's what I worked on when I was uh, on with my MA. And um, it was just, it was really fascinating. And then we have all of the, the non-canonical mm-hmm. books about Jesus, the Gnostic texts as, yeah. as they are known. The stuff that didn't make it into the Bible. All the stuff the that stuff, didn't become canon. The stuff that didn't become canon because it was a little bit out there. Oh, yeah. The Adventures of Hot Teen Jesus, for example. <laughs> you know. Okay, that's uh, a joke, but uh, it's not that far off from some of the stuff that was written. Geez, oh, Lord. I mean, some of the stuff <laughs> that's talked about in, in some of these books. And I know. Some of them say that it makes women better. Uh, yeah, I, it, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, what can I say, body of literature. Essentially saying that... Let's let's face it. There are giant books of the Bible, possible of the Bible, that were possibly edited out specifically because they were too nice to women. Well, it's not. Yeah, I mean that's part of the argument. And then there's there's all the other arguments, as you mm-hmm. say, these ideas. I can remember when I took my first course, and that was in Australia at La, La Trobe University. Great name for university, uh, by the way. Christianity. Yeah. Um, and it is true that when you're raised in um, the tradition, you don't, um, there's a lot of stuff you don't get, of course, because you get the tradition. Yeah. And even that's changed. But so I 
he gave us a Gnostic text, mm -hmm. right? And it is so similar to the Johannine view in some ways, but the Gnostic text, and yeah, you can recognize it. You get Manichaeanism, you get all these people who wanted the church fathers, read the church fathers. Oh my God, you know, that's where you get women are the gateway to hell. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's there and became part of a way of understanding the primary text, the can canonical text. Yeah. But he yeah. wrote this in the early second century. Mm -hmm. right? And he had his own problems clearly with women, did Tertullian. <laughs> um, yes, women are the gateway to hell, you know. And he wanted to ditch, you know, I mean, there's this whole business of ditching the Old Testament entirely, that this was an entirely new, new phenomena and was very, I mean, anti-Semitism and Christianity, the development of anti-Semitism. It's inextricably linked. Christianity are inextricably linked for yeah. a number of reasons. Yeah. And so, you know, I, there were all sorts of things and. You know, and then they had all sorts of, they had to make all sorts of decisions about this. And the and what we ended up with in the Western civilization had a hard time at times. There were serious contenders for a, an entirely different understanding of who Jesus was mm -hmm. that would have changed everything, but it eventually lost out. Some of it was political, like, okay, some of it was religion. It became the key heresy. Mm -hmm. um, there, but there were a whole parts of Northern Europe, Northern and Western Europe, that were Aryan. That okay, yeah, well, the Romans have got it right. So I guess <laughs> we have to change. Yeah, and it would make a political decision to change um, the understanding of Jesus. It it's. It, it's a world that we don't understand much. My students have a very hard time understanding that. And I don't, I haven't taught medieval in so long, early yeah. medieval and medieval in so long that there's a whole stack of students that have never taken sort of those courses from me who have no understanding of how that fits into our understanding of Western civilization, because mm -hmm. it is very complicated. And uh, we could put a link. Well, no, to but it's like it's it's interesting. I mean, we, we can talk about this on another podcast because people aren't here for Bible history. Sadly, uh, people are not here for Bible <laughs> history. But I mean, it's not like it's always worth looking at the way the Bible developed because, as the key, you know, text of the Western canon, and it really is yeah. the the changes being made to the Bible. And like the decisions of what to focus on and what to ignore tell the story of the changing like political and social movements of Western of like Western civilization. Yep. They tell that story because every time you wanted to change the way you lived, you had to find a way to justify it in the Bible. And so the changes you make to the Bible tell the story of how people well, live. Your interpretation. Well, yes, uh, you know, yes, uh, you're right. I shouldn't have said it that way. Obviously, I didn't mean they were sitting down and taking no. a sharpie to the Bible, although that did happen. <laughs> no, but there are also like bizarre things like, and this is what happened, right? What happened was, of course, you had the official translation into yep. Latin of he Aramaic texts of 
Greek mm -hmm. texts, uh, like because the letters of Paul, for example, were written in Koine Greek. Um, so if you ever want to understand so much of the Bible, there are all these ancient languages you really have to start to understand. Um, and so you get into you get into that. And then, but you had the official translation called the Vulgate. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, people started as, and the Crusades probably did this, go watch the name of the Rose, but it's not just the name of the Rose, it's the, the Crusades, because the Crusades opened up the world mm -hmm. in some ways, opened up the Eastern world, and there were monasteries, and they had texts and texts were then made more available to people so then you had people like erasmus who was translating there had been somebody already in the 15th 15th century 14th century there was something called the tisdale tinsdale bible which was had been translated from the vulgate not just the vulgate but translated into english which was not allowed the bible had to be only in latin mm -hmm. and so these translations, but then they were getting back to these books and starting to read the Greek. This is what Which, by the way, if you ever wanted to know if the story of the church was the story of control, <laughs> uh, using using people's faith to control them, like, by the way, it's blasphemy to translate the Bible, but yeah. the Bible wasn't written in Latin. Well, no, it's blasphemy to translate it from Latin. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> like, how on so. earth could you? How on earth is that consistent? Yes. Well, never mind. It was translated once, and and of course, you know, like the Septuagint was translated, which was es essentially in the Old Testament. Let's call it that. Yeah. The Septuagint was translated into Greek, and they had oh god 72 or something like that rabbis and they were all independent and they independently translated it and this is the, the myth yeah. right and it, every every one of them translated exactly, it exactly the same right and, and that's, that's how we know it's true and this is and i think i've talked about the blackballing that start like in the 50s they were trying to get a consistent translation yeah for protestants and roman catholics right and mm -hmm. jews consistent translations of all of this and they did have a black ball system yeah. so if somebody if like five well, so many scholars and they were all hanging around and agreeing and they went through all of these different verses this is how you got the yeah. new re, the revised standard version and now the new, revised new international version. version yeah but it all goes back to all of these original texts and you're finding more and more of them because a lot of them had damage to them like the original texts they would have damage or you would have bits and pieces of them. And so you had to try and, but when you start translating them, it's not as clear as it was to St. Jerome who created the Vulgate. Yeah. I mean, he made, he, he made his translation. And as we all know, translation is affected by culture. Of course. And, you know, so, and that's, I mean, that's Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. That was the key because, of course, he was translating all these texts. He was oh. an Augustinian monk and goes, "Yeah, but this is what the, this is what it says." And okay, and so he comes up with all of these things, right, and starts the movement that changed the world, the Western yeah. world. 
Well, and what's fascinating is, like, this story of people with their specific decisions about a translation interpretation, that hasn't ended. No! That's still happening. And, I mean, I think my favorite example of it is, so, um, famously, uh, American evangelicals didn't care about abortion until they, like, it became politically untenable to complain about, like, busing. And, you know, black people being allowed to vote. That that was their main motivating thing. American evangelicals was attacking black people. That became, like, socially difficult. And so they decided to start pretending they cared about abortion. But the problem is, if you go to the Old Testament, A, there's a ceremony to perform abortion in there. Uh, so there's that. And B, there's this part where they essentially say... Uh, they give the value of a fetus who is killed in a fight. Uh, like if a fight happens and a woman has a miscarriage, they essentially say, uh, because it's a fetus, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth doesn't count. You have to have a rabbi determine what the value of that loss was financially, and then you have to pay the husband. Because the past yeah. sucked. But the and, point remember, is and remember that the value of a male child... Yes. Oh, exactly. Was higher than the value of a female. And that is all factored in. Right? But the thing is, like, legally speaking, it is text in the Bible. Legally, like, biblical law, text in the Bible, the bi like, a fetus isn't a person. It's, it's right there in the text. There's no way around it. And so they literally did a new translation where instead of saying they translated the word that has been obviously always translated as stillborn or miscarriage because the technical the actual words used are deadborn some guy said actually the the term deadborn i think i'm going to translate that as premature birth <laughs> and that was a political decision that man and i guarantee it was a man was making <laughs> That's a political decision they were making to try and make the translation of the Bible tenable with the political goals they wanted to achieve. So yeah, oh, this stuff then, happens now. And then there's all, all of the Bibles that get written. Good news for today. Oh, or, don't get me started. On... You know, and then you get all of these. Well, we have to make it. We have to make it in language that people can understand. Well, no, those are all translations. Yep. And don't, you know, and for those of us who spent a lot of time with all yeah, the, the modern readable Bible, it might seem benign, but no, people are making decisions in the way they translate things. Well, it's not even just translations and what they, how they word things. That's true. Yes. You know, like, like they might say, but, you know, like changing still, like stillborn or dead. Yeah. I get literally deadborn. Okay, it's not really, it's, it is making a decision, okay, that you can use this to mean that, mm -hmm. and that's very, very questionable, particularly for those people who are, who are constantly insisting they're to go back to the Bible. I know. We're you know, biblical originalists. We use, you know, we, well, everything has to come directly from the Bible. Here is our modern language translation that completely changes the intent of things. That means we're the most biblical. It's like how the rapture people tricked all of American, like, journalism 
to believe that the Tim LaHaye's of the world use a quote-unquote literal reading of the Bible. Yeah, go read Revelations, guys. As if there's something literal about using a chart to jump back and forth between Revelations and Daniel. (laughs) Like... No, no, you're supposed to read these three lines from Revelations, now these six lines from Daniel, then avoid this whole two books of Revelations, you know, then go forward. (laughs) Like, yeah, no, that's the literal reading of the Bible. Well, okay. Now, for those of you who actually got to this far with us... Uh, By the way, sorry about this. Just to be clear, sorry that this happened. This was not our intention. But, you know... Romp's a weird episode. Is well, <laughs> let me put it this let me put it this way. So the episode might actually be an hour long instead of half an hour. I know. Sorry about this in advance. Well, not in advance. We've, we've already really nixoned you. I, if you stopped le- well, if you stopped listening when we stopped talking about wise guy, we understand it. But it's like we we love biblical history. We just do. We love it. And it's fascinating because it's so important and I'm not blaming atheists for, for anything. Cause you know, atheists have their own stuff to work through. And I understand why they think if we'll just abandon religion, like we'll just not talk about that. And like, and then we'll just start working on our real problems. And I totally relate to that, but it's important to understand how this book that is so important to the formation of our society is understood and used. Right? You can't fight your enemy if you don't understand them. Yes. And it's as simple as that sometimes. So, yes. We, we, I know it is weird how much we talk about the Bible for a, uh, for a podcast about serial killers and a wise guy. <laughs> well, uh, but, uh, given the tendency of serial killers to talk about the Bible, uh, maybe it's not that strange after all. <laughs> seen seven we've all seen seven okay (laughs) uh seven deadly sins another completely extra biblical thing yep Yep. uh we know the monks who made it up who created it and originally there were like nine sins and three of those sins and i think no sorry originally there were eight sins and it was such a badly written list that three of those sins were pride like, three of them were just different wordings of don't be proud. Yes, well, pride is the big one. No, pride is the, the most important <laughs> sin. We all we all know that. Okay. But yeah, it is funny that in the first list, there were eight sins and three of them were pride. Don't be prideful. Don't say prideful things. You know, don't believe that you're responsible for your own successes. Are those really three different sins, though? Well, yes, but we have seven deadly sins. Yeah, we do have seven deadly sins, yes. Okay, let's go. We're going to wrap this up now. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, Next week, we're going to be back here talking, if you're watching along with us, we're going to be talking about To Die in Bettendorf, which is the return of Sid Royce, a character we haven't seen since uh, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Yeah. The ninth episode of uh, the show ever, right? So that's, it's been a while since we checked in with Sid Royce. Well, guess what? You're oh, going to again. And boy, is it going to be a ride. So yeah. enjoy that. We'll be here to talk about that. And then after that, 
we're going to get to a one-horse town, and a lot of people's, including you could say partially are, like, one of our, one of our favorite arcs ever, and a lot of people's favorite arc of the show. That's yeah. It's fair to say that. And if you go to IMDb, and, like, you know how they have the little episode ratings? None of oh. the episode ratings are high enough because people don't know what quality is. I'm, I'm a jerk, but I, I'll own that. Uh, but... Do you know what the two uh, highest rated episodes are in order? No. Number one, no one gets out of here alive, obviously. Yes. Number two, a one-horse town. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like the IMDb fans think that that a one-horse town is the second best episode of Wise Guy ever. So I don't know that I agree with that. I do know I love the hell out of this whole story arc. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be there in two weeks. But next week to die in Bettendorf, I hope it's shorter. The episode. <laughs> well, we shouldn't. Well, I mean, Pride will come into it again. Pride will definitely come into it, but there's very little chance that we're gonna spend twenty minutes talking about the Last <laughs> Temptation of Christ and biblical literacy. There's almost oh. no chance that that's gonna happen. That's right. So, uh, yeah, that should be fun. All right. So, uh, I guess that's that. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Or if you're listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, please rate and review. That's how people find the show. We're going to see you here back next, sorry, back here on Tuesday for more Vincenzo, which I hope you're loving as much as we are, because there's not a lot of shows better than Vincenzo out there. Yeah. It is just a delight in every way a show can be a delight. Uh, and of course, join us back here next Wednesday for more Style Section. Until then, au revoir. Have a good week.